So uh, thank you very much for inviting me along to Pediatric Emergencies 2021. I'm Thomas Waterfield, and I'm going to talk to you about Pediatric Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome. Um, this is also known as uh, Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome in children, or MIS-C in the United States, um, and more internationally. Uh, for, those of you don't, for those of you who don't know me, I am a Pediatric Emergency Medicine Consultant at the Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children, and I'm also a, a lecturer in paediatrics at Queen's University. And my research interests are all around um, paediatric infections, including COVID-19. So we're gonna build this around a fictitious case of a 12-year-old boy who's had multiple attendances to the emergency department and has some ongoing diarrhea and abdominal pain. He's pretty lethargic, he looks dehydrated and he's convinced on some IV fluids by the junior doctor. When you think about uh, PIMS-TS, it's, it's actually, got a lot of overlap with common conditions. So it will be typical for these children to present multiple times to either GP or hospital. It is a typically as a kind of slower developing illness than some of the differentials such as sepsis and toxic shock. And they do have a, a, a tendency to kind of creep up on you um, just gradually deteriorating. And I certainly think back to some of the first cases I've seen um, were certainly admitted and there was some kind of discussion and debate about whether they were pinned before they were finally treated. The symptoms are common, so uh, gut symptoms are really common. Uh, as part of the SARS-CoV-2 research that we conducted last year, looking at the symptoms of SARS-CoV-2 infection in children, we actually found that abdominal symptoms are really common in acute infection, and they seem to be a really common feature in PIMS-TS. Then also conjunctivitis, and alongside that rash, the skin changes are really, really common. So you're seeing about half will have conjunctivitis or rashes. Uh, persistent fever is there in all um, and then commonly kind of a different, big difference between uh, this and say Kawasaki's disease, which is a, a vasculitis in childhood, which we would see uh, and we would be familiar with is the acute um, cardiac compromise. So um, whilst coronary artery aneurysm formation is uh, well reported in uh, Kawasaki's disease, the kind of hypertensive um, cardiac shock, which is pretty typical of, of PIMS-TS, isn't something that we would see in um, Kawasaki's disease. Other sides of laboratory findings, you usually see evidence of hyperinflammation with very high CRP levels, uh, raised ferritin, profound lymphopenia, thrombocytopenia, uh, neutropenia, and abnormal cardiac enzymes and D-dimers. If anyone has looked at the um, UK guidance from the Royal College um, or the Lancet paper on the kind of consensus guidelines around PIMS-TS, um, you'll see there's an awful lot of investigations listed. Investigations that uh, myself as an acute paediatrician uh, and certainly many of my emergency medicine colleagues wouldn't be familiar with in children. So that includes interpreting results such as D-dimer, uh, troponin and BMP. So before we send those investigations on children, we need to have a, have a to consider whether they're necessary and what we're going to do with the results. So a bit more information on our case. So, uh, our 12 year old child actually was COVID positive a month ago. He was fine, uh, it was through the whole family and he was actually probably the least affected. Uh, but now he's had six days of fever and he just feels pretty grotty. He's a little bit tachycardic. His cat refills okay, but he's hypotensive, 88 over 60. Now you've done this six times because he's sitting there chatting to you. Uh, the junior doctors gave a fluid bonus but it has made no difference. Uh, despite this, he's sitting there chatting away. And this, this is really, Completely typical of cases that um, I've certainly seen uh, and very reminiscent of a case I saw when I was working in Dublin Temple Street, one of my first cases of PIMS, which was a child sitting there 
chatting away with me, despite having uh, a pretty awful uh, blood pressure. And then the blood results come back, the CRP is over 300, the child is uh, hyponatremic, uh, lymphopenic, and there is a coag, not a fibrinogen of seven. So at this point, you actually pretty much have your diagnosis of PIMS-DS, uh, and your first line investigations are nearly enough to give you the case. Now, not all uh, cases of PIMS-DS are this clear cut, and certainly um, there'll be lots of querying and further investigations needed in many, but this would be pretty typical. So you go back to those diagnostic criteria that we talked about. So you must have evidence of inflammation that's prolonged fever over 38. And really you need to have laboratory changes as well. If a CRP is less than 100, it's either very, very early or just not PIMS-TS. Um, I'll bring some data up later on, but the kind of median CRP values are up over 200. You should have a neutrophilia and you'll typically see a lymphopenia with lymphocytes less than one. And then there'll be single or multi-organ involvement. Cardiogenic shock, and I'll bring up some numbers on the frequency of this, but uh, certainly cardiac dysfunction is fairly common. Um, and is abdominal upset uh, and respiratory failure. Now you will not typically see respiratory failure at all in Kawasaki disease, that is unusual. Abnormal neurology, I'm slightly skeptical about. This is reported quite a lot in the literature, but I wonder if this just relates to actually delirium secondary to being acutely unwell. Uh, I'm not, um, my personal experience uh, and from what I've seen for the children coming through um, in the study that we're running, I wouldn't say that's a key feature, uh, but certainly delirium would be. So where can we get some data from? So uh, let's have a think about where the sources are. So certainly in Northern Ireland at the early stage of the pandemic, we weren't seeing uh, large numbers of cases of PIMS-TS. And that probably reflects the fact that we saw very few uh, children during the first wave. Uh, our first wave in Northern Ireland was uh, quite muted compared to that of um, England, Scotland and Wales. And we're certainly seeing now a more sustained um, kind of wave. We're, we're seeing far more cases of PIMS-TS coming through the children's hospital. If we look back at uh, data from England during the kind of um, early stages of the pandemic, that first wave of 268 PIMS-TS cases over um, really kind of three to four month period. Now the median age of these children were eight years old. So this is a little bit older than what you would see with things like Kawasaki's disease. Um, and it was more common in males, more common in children with black and Asian heritage, although that reasons for that aren't really clear. That may just represent kind of socioeconomic groups rather than a genetic predisposition. More work needed on that really. And what's really striking is that nearly half of these children needed to go to intensive care units, but thankfully very few died. So this is actually a brand new illness that we're seeing that causes really quite significant harm in children. Uh, and we do have to be vigilant for it um, and try and understand what's going on. Now, there's different ways of ca ca categorizing this, and it has an awful lot of overlap with Kawasaki's disease and also toxic shock syndrome. And actually, they talk about the phenotypes of um, uh, PIMS-TS in that, in that uh, way. So there's either the toxic shock type, which is the one I think we think the most about because they are the ones who are hypotensive, who look very, very well, and the most likely to need ICU. Because those are more like a typical Kawasaki's disease. Uh, and it's now very, very hard to, to really um, be certain of Kawasaki's disease during, certainly during this current wave of infection where, we, where nearly everyone will have been exposed in the last couple of months to um, SARS-CoV-2 uh, with, the, with the increased infection through schools. Uh, and then there's a kind of in-between neither. And talking to my colleagues in infectious diseases at the Royal Hospital, that, that would be uh, their kind of description that, that, they, that these different kind of phenotypes exist. 
the symptoms of this is actually just taken from the um, supplementary material from the same uh, paper from Public Health England. But that you see there, two thirds of children will have a rash. About half will have conjunctivitis, abdominal pain, diarrhea, vomiting, really common. So certainly if you have a child that looks very unwell, has persistent fever, is an older child, and they have gastrointestinal symptoms, you should really be um, tuning your radar towards, could this be PIMS TS? So, um, you know, our under fives, yes, we used to have being quite laid by with a temperature, but we're not used to seeing that in children at eight, nine, 10 years old. So high fevers, GI symptoms during, um, you know, or kind of several weeks after a COVID um, surge or COVID wave, you should really be mindful of PIMS TS. Hypotension, so it's really important to get blood pressures as we get busier and busier. Uh, if they're not a key, if they're not a, 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 a standard part of your triage where you are, then um, you need to ensure that they are done in these children. Um, evidence of mucositis is pretty common. Lymphadenopathy, and I've certainly seen a case of a child who presented with a neck swelling um, and had concern from kind of ENT colleagues that it was a um, retropharyngeal abscess and who actually had PIMS TS. Uh, cough is in there probably to represent some of the respiratory failure that can happen, but I wouldn't say it's a key presenting feature of PIMS-TS, and that would be more in keeping with acute COVID uh, infection. So laboratory findings, again, just taking from actually the supplementary material within that PHE paper, um, your median, these are median values. So your median CRP is over 200. So although we've said actually over 100, most will be over 200. Ferritin over 500, D-dimer over 3,000, fibrinogen over five and a half, lymphocyte count less than one. And these would be the kind of typical values. Um, so we're talking about a very, very deranged set of blood results. Uh, so our case, we go back. So he's sitting there, he's hypertensive, hypermetremic. Um, he's got a very, very high CRP. He's no chest pain, he's no cardiac history. You, you're in a district general hospital um, and actually you're just not able to get um, anyone to perform an echo there and then. So you perform an ECG. So ECG changes are fairly um, commonly reported in um, PIMS-TS. Uh, and the most common findings that you see are um, a, a flattening of the um, ST segment, T wave se um, segment initially. You can see that in, in slide A. And this is all taken from uh, a really nice paper from the Evelina Hospital where they looked at around 60 different children with PIMS TS and OECGs. Where you'll see a gradual change of that with T wave flipping um, through B and then through resolution, you'll see in C and D with that returning to normal. Occasionally, you'll see ST changes, which you'll see in ENF. Um, despite having ST changes, there haven't been any myocardial infarcts reported that I'm aware of in PIMS-TS. Uh, the, the insult is all around a kind of myocarditis um, with significantly impaired ventricular function on echo. So we've got our case in front of us. I'm getting very excited that this could be a PIMS-TS, but we just have to be mindful that this is actually an older child who is hypotensive. Um, looks very, very unwell and has very deranged bloods. And actually before uh, COVID, we would have been thinking about sepsis or intra-abdominal sepsis. And certainly we have to keep our minds open in that. Um, so be thinking about your surgical consult, thinking about giving your broad spectrum antibiotics to cover for serious infection, um, and thinking about your sepsis management. Uh, Kawasaki's disease, again, so Kawasaki's disease has some overlap. And you'll see this is a really nice uh, figure taken from a French paper. It's, it's been referenced nearly 800 times now it's an incredible paper but it's looking at um 
features from Kawasaki disease, you can see there conjunctivitis, mucositis, cervical lymphadenopathy, skin rashes, and pericarditis, coronary and artery dilatation, which are common to both. But then you'll see actually the neurological signs certainly more common. Now I said, I wonder if that's to do with delirium and just how well they are. Respiratory signs, just not a feature of Kawasaki disease at all. Um, left ventricular dysfunction, which was very high, probably much high, higher than it is here in French studies, shock, uh, and actually needing ECMO, which again, um, none of our children in Northern needed ECMO as far as I'm aware yet. GI inset uh, involvement there really high as well, as you'd see. Um, so some really key differences between Kawasaki and, um, and PIMS and also with sepsis. And again, there's also toxic shock on there. So you need to keep a broad diagnosis in mind um, not just jump to a diagnosis of PIMS um, and make sure those, those different conditions are covered. So what's happening? So we don't really quite know what's happening in PIMS-TS. So um, one of the reasons I was invited to give this talk um, I'm an emergency medicine physician, so I'm not um, an infectious diseases consultant, but my research is around um, COVID-19. We have an ongoing study looking at symptoms and antibody kinetics in children. Uh, but we now actually, with the recent recruitment, um, we've got a study ongoing looking at PIMS-TS. Uh, we're looking at um, a kind of multi-omics approach to try and understand the immune response in children with PIMS-TS and how that compares to other common pediatric um, illnesses. Um, so different theories have been put forward. Um, this is a really nice uh, figure taken from an adult paper just showing how um, you kind of initially become um, exposed, you're asymptomatic, doesn't really affect you. Uh, and then kind of initial viral stage, um, fever, cough, those symptoms are all kind of aware of. In children, you get a little bit of that, but then it quickly drops away with no kind of um, hyperinflammation and then a really tiny blip at the end where you get the MIS-C um, and then you'll see between the, the adults and the old adults in between getting that actually that hyperinflammatory stage in the middle and I'm not going to dwell on adults because it, it's I don't think it's the same illness and I don't um, I'm a pediatrician but I think uh, there's certainly good evidence around um, endothelial involvement and a kind of endothelitis which is probably multifactorial, it probably relates uh, to kind of pre-existing injury. So certainly if you think about your risk factors for um, se severe COVID infection in adults, they are people that are predisposed to kind of inflammatory changes within the vasculature already uh, and to have kind of damaged or sick endothelium. Um, and I think endothelitis is a big part of um, acute COVID-19, but also in, uh, in PIMS. This is a figure just from one of our uh, papers we're putting together um, and just kind of summarizing we, we performed a literature review and just looked at studies that were looking at the mechanisms behind PIMS-TS uh, and there's lots of different kind of theories it's hard to tie them all together so one of the things that's been put forward is around the antibody response so you're getting your kind of uh, antigen presented your kind of b-cell antibody response um, and you're producing um, non-neutralizing antibodies as well as autoantibodies, and it has been shown an antibody to uh, endoglin, which is, has a really key role in um, the maintenance of endothelial cells. Uh, that's been identified in recent autoantibody studies. So showing that there's probably some sort of potential autoantibody mediated injury to endothelial tissue as part of this. Um, but then these um, non-neutralizing antibodies can also then become kind of self-stimulating, uh, which leads to a, a cytokine storm. Um, 
the kind of cytokine profile and show that it's slightly different to um to uh, infection and also to Kawasaki's disease you get very high interleukin 6 um, and you'll remember that interleukin 6 blockers have been considered as treatment you also get high interleukin 17a um, and this cytokine storm probably is responsible for some of the um kind of toxic shock appearance that you see um so we've got a cytokine storm ongoing and um, we've got leaky endothelium we may have a role for autoantibodies uh, and then there seems to be from some really small but neat studies looking at single cell RNA sequencing and looking at um, kind of uh, uh, flow cytometry that um, something is happening with natural killer cells and uh, kind of exhausted CD8 cytotoxic T cells um, leading to some sort of chronic inflammatory response. Now, all of this hasn't really been fully worked out, but it seems that there's the environmental trigger, which is SARS-CoV-2, probably some underlying genetic predisposition to a pro-inflammatory um, immune response uh, that leads to antibodies that are produced that include autoantibodies, but also self-stimulating, non-neutralizing antibodies. Um, this leads to kind of direct endothelial injury through autoantibodies, uh, but also through a cytokine storm, which is then kind of perpetuated by abnormal um, kind of regulation or dysregulation between cytotoxic T cells and the other major cytotoxic cell, which is natural killer cells. Um, but more works needed to really understand this properly. So uh, the case um, was referred on. So the um, we know that around half of these children are needing um, to go to the intensive care unit. We know that acute uh, surgical pathology is often a common differential. We know that many will need um, echocardiograms and will need input from cardiology. So um, the, the place really for PIMS-TS to be primarily managed um, is, is, is in the children's hospital where there's a multidisciplinary team to, to manage them. Um, I know from working very closely with them as part of the study, they're happy to always take calls um, on, on patients with possible PIMS-TS. The um, tra discharge transferred across by NYSTAR, um, having, um, uh, was commenced on immunoglobulin, commenced on high-dose steroids, uh, and, and made a reasonable recovery initially. Uh, Follow-up has showed that they've got some uh, ongoing coronary artery um, uh, the abnormalities are very prominent, but no dilatation and, and no um, aneurysms uh, and, uh, and some ongoing fatigue. And certainly as part of the study, we have formed um, a patient a public group uh, and um, one of the young people involved in that um, was a very keen athlete prior to PIMS. Um, and although kind of some of the key markers around echocardiogram have shown kind of return to normal function, he still has significant ongoing fatigue. Uh, his exercise tolerance is significantly reduced. And that raises some really interesting questions because um, is this just recovery from a severe illness um, or is this that there's some sort of ongoing inflammatory response? And that, that probably hasn't really been looked at yet in terms of um, is, the, is the actual inflammatory side of this going on and on. So I think um, just to kind of close up and summarize, um, the PIMS-TS at the moment is fairly common. We're seeing um, two or three cases a week coming through the study through the children's hospital. Um, diagnosis is probably tricky initially. They, these children that have had fever for five days might present when they've had fever for two or three days. And they certainly myself find that a tricky group. You had a fever for three days, you're over five, you don't look great, you've got some tummy upset. Um, my threshold for blood tests at the moment for those kind of children is a little bit lower. 
um, than it was pre-pandemic. Um, I don't do all of the um, Royal College first line invest or Royal College investigations because um, I'm reluctant to interpret, for example, a D-dimer, uh, a troponin, and a BMP in, in all the children. Um, so I'll typically do my first line investigations. If that points towards PIMS TS, then I'll have that conversation with my colleagues in infectious diseases um, and then perform my second line investigations with their support and also the support of cardiology. So I think at the moment, keep an open mind. We are seeing lots of cases. Um, we don't really understand the mechanism. Um, I think if you're vigilant and you're discussing them early, then they do do pretty well. Um, they can be challenging to manage and are probably easier managed where we have a mixture of teams, including ID and cardiology. Um, and that's really kind of a short summary um, on uh, uh, PIMS-TS. So uh, thank you very much for inviting me along uh, and I'll be around for some questions. Thanks.